All right, folks. One of the things that we always say here at Chalmers is don't take my word for it. And I think that that's a good sentiment for anything that we read or watch or see, whether it's someone in a local church up front or whether it's someone on TV or a book that you're reading. Don't take their word for it. Go back and check it out yourself in the Bible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray right now that you would help us, that you would help us to focus on your words. Lord, I pray that you would take away any words that are just from me, but that you and your truth would remain and would rest on our hearts, that you would change us from the inside out, and that we would experience your hope and your joy today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today we are starting our Advent series called Hope Restored. This was your moment of the... Let me try that again. We are starting our Advent series called Hope Restored. Hope Revealed. Sorry, Hope Revealed. There you go. I love this church. I think I've said before here at Chalmers, when I was growing up and even after I had come to a personal faith in Jesus, I felt weird about Advent. Uh, And not because it starts in November, but because it felt to me like we were trying to fake something or play act something that wasn't really true. That somehow I got the sense that Advent was supposed to be this time where we waited and expected for Christ's birth. And the logical brain of mine said, yeah, but Christ was born 2,000 years ago. What are we trying to, like, get us back into that time? Are we supposed to kind of sit in anticipation and say, I I don't know. Is he going to get born this year? What's going to happen? I didn't like it. I just thought, like, my faith is so real, and I hope yours is too, that play acting and faking something has no place in my faith. And so I didn't get Advent. To be completely honest, it wasn't until probably maybe 10 years ago that it struck me. I was listening to someone, they were talking about how the Israelites were waiting for the Messiah. And Advent for us is the reminder of God's faithfulness to that promise and of our own waiting for the Lord to come again. And when that pastor or that speaker put it in that perspective, I just went, oh, okay, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. Yes, this is a time for us to remember God's promises and to anticipate that there are still some promises to come. To help us kind of get into that framework, I do want you to play act for a second, but not in a fake way. I want you to use your imagination and just imagine that you are a Jewish person living in Judea about 10 years before Jesus is born. If you need to close your eyes, you can do so, but please don't fall asleep. Every spring, you come together with your family and your friends to retell and remember how your ancestors were enslaved in Egypt for 430 years, forced to follow Pharaoh's laws and work for him. And your people cried out to God for a savior, and God was faithful. He raised up Moses to lead your people out of Egypt. And so year after year, 
The Jewish people take time to remember that God had indeed rescued them from captivity. At Passover, you reenact and you remember the meal that your people ate in haste the night that God led them out of Egypt. In fact, many of the laws of Moses, many of the laws that you adhere to, have a remembrance to them. For example, the Sabbath law in Deuteronomy 5 to only work six days says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, in other words, the reason to keep the Sabbath, therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. One of the reasons why we work only six days a week instead of seven to remember that we are no longer slaves, that we are no longer captives, that we don't have to work the seventh day. And yet, after many years of flourishing under the blessing of God, your ancestors had rebelled against God and and the Lord allowed them to be taken captive again. This time by the Babylonians who were conquered by the Persians, who were conquered by the Greeks, who were now conquered by the Romans. And you find yourself, about 10 BC, once again oppressed and enslaved. And every day you're reminded of your troubling context. The Roman soldiers who, quote-unquote, keep the peace, do it viciously and corruptly. Taxes are high and fear is even higher. And although the Romans allow you to worship your God in the temple, according to them, Caesar is the true God and the one Lord. And once again, you find yourself yearning, pleading, calling out to God to redeem Israel. Now, 400 years before that, there were promises made. There were promises made by the prophets that God would once again send a savior, someone like Moses, to rescue his people. In fact, Moses even says in Deuteronomy 18, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. Later on, the prophet Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Later on in Isaiah 35, we see another prophecy, another promise from God that he will rescue his people. It says this, Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not be afraid. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. These are hopeful promises. These are faithful promises that you can hang your hat on. And every day when you look around and you see the horror that you are faced and the life around you of oppression and evil and darkness, 
You can go back to these scriptures and say, okay, but God has promised. And yet even, even when you look back at these prophecies as a Jewish person, there's conflict in them. There's uncertainty in them. They don't all seem to gel well together. I mean, in Isaiah 9, we see this. We see this mighty king. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, established and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Again, a beautiful, beautiful promise. And yet, just a few chapters later in Isaiah 53, we read about the Savior, this Messiah, and it doesn't sound the same. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so there's tension. How is this Savior, how is this anointed one, how is this Messiah going to come and rule on David's throne forever and yet be crushed and pierced and despised and rejected? And if you're still in that spot in your mind where you're still embracing that Jewish person 10 years before Jesus comes, you may feel that tension as well. Are these promises true? Is God really going to come and save us? Because I look around at this Roman Empire and I don't see it. I see the soldiers I see the corruptness, I see the darkness in our world, and I don't see God's faithfulness. I hear the stories that he was faithful in Moses' time, but it's been 400 years since we've heard from him. All we have is quiet. Is God still coming, or has he forgotten about us? Is he distant and angry? Have we become so bad that he's changed his mind? Has God given up on humanity? Now it's easy for us, 2,000 years later, to think that these questions are absurd. We've read the story, we know the story. Just 10 years later, this baby's going to be born. God is going to move heaven and earth to bring hope to the world. 
God sends an angel to a teenage virgin and tells her that she's going to be the mother of God. He sends shepherds and a VIP invitation for the welcome party of Emmanuel. God with us. He draws magi from Persia to worship and adore before a baby. God rolls out the red carpet and comes to us unexpectedly humble. As Eugene Peterson paraphrases, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Now again, 2,000 years later here in Arma, we, we can look back and we can say they were missing it. And we know that so many of the Jewish people did miss out on the Messiah. They were, they were looking for this mighty king and they missed out on the Son of God. Instead of coming as this earthly king who would drive out the Romans, Jesus comes as an ordinary teacher who was crucified, died, and buried for our sins. The teachers of the law and the chief priests, they had too small of a picture of what the Messiah was about. The Messiah was not simply the savior of the Jewish people from an earthly kingdom, but he was the savior of the world, ushering in a heavenly kingdom. And again, we who sit in this privileged seat with the Bible readily available, we can be tempted to sit in judgment and say, how could anyone think that God had forgotten them? And yet again, there are so many in our world today, even in churches, who have those thoughts that God has forgotten me, that God has forgotten our world. You see, after Jesus died and was buried, he was resurrected and ascended to heaven. And yet before he ascended to heaven, he promised us that one day he will return. And that will be the culmination of the end of the world and the beginning of eternal life. He promised us that he would come back for us. And he knew that there would be people who would be led astray. Jesus says in Matthew 24, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come into my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. Matthew 24, Jesus says, At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, don't go out there. Or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. John 14, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms, and if it weren't so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, so that you may be where I am. Jesus promised that he would come back. Jesus promised that in the end we will be with him forever. And yet if you think 
400 years of silence is a long time. Try 2,000 years of silence. When we read some of the earliest scriptures, things like First and Second Thessalonians, the early church believed that Jesus was going to come back like Friday. They were convinced he was coming back in their lifetime. And it caused some problems in the church, and we won't go into that. But there was a, an expectancy and immediacy that Jesus was going to come back within a year, within a few years. 2,000 years later, we're sitting here still waiting, still expecting, still longing, still hoping. And the question that some people can ask is, has God forgotten? Has God forgotten about us? Has God become distant and angry? Has God thrown up his hands and said, look at what humanity is doing Nuts to this, I'm out of here. Lucky for us, we also have an answer to that. One of Jesus' earliest disciples tells us in his letter in 2 Peter 3, chapter 9. Obviously, there was this question why is the Lord not coming? This is what it says. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why has Jesus not come yet? Because he's waiting. He's waiting and longing and hoping that your neighbor comes to know him. That your children come to know him. That your co-worker comes to know him as their Savior and Lord. God is being patient. More patient than you and I probably would be. He's being patient with humanity because he wants for as many who will choose him to have the time to choose him. But that leaves us still in this angst, in this waiting, in this anticipating Idea. How do we, as his followers who know him already, how do we live in this tension? How do we live between the cross and the throne? How do we live between his resurrection and ours? How do we live in this already but not yet time? I want to suggest to you that Advent is a beautiful way to remind us of God's faithfulness and to help us in this tension. That this year at Christmas, I hope there's snow, I hope there's beautiful lights, I hope there's tinsel, I hope there's all that fun stuff. But more than that, I hope that this year is a time for us to remember God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to the Israelites at the Red Sea. God's faithfulness to the Israelites in bringing the Messiah. God's faithfulness to us in carrying the message 2,000 years so that we may know him. And God's faithfulness that he will come again.
Friends, if we use Christmas to remember and to anticipate and to become excited about God returning, we can then live in that tension. We can then live in the already but not yet. We can then live in the he might come again this afternoon, but if he doesn't, I'm going to live in today and do what he wants me to do today and to share his love with those he's put in my sphere and to be his hands and feet in this world today. And so we have hope that he will return. We can look back at his faithfulness and say that he is the same yesterday as he is today, as he will be forever And in the meantime, if he doesn't come back this afternoon, we still have a job to do. We still have a role to play in his salvation works. We get to be his hands and feet in this world. We get to be his ambassadors of salvation to those in our midst. We get to share his love with those who don't know it. And it is a mighty message to share And Christmas, if no other time in the year, I got to say, actually makes it easier. You see, Christmas is a time of year where people actually start thinking about the holy. And yeah, they get distracted by a lot of lights and twinkles and, and false stuff as well. But Jesus becomes at least a little bit of a house name. And they might not know the story. At Hometown Christmas this year, there were lots of people who were looking at at the manger scene and going, I don't get it. What's going on here? They don't actually know the story. We're actually now living within generations who have never been told the story of Jesus. That's where things like Hometown Christmas, things like Messy Church, things where we as Christians, go to people who don't know Jesus and bring Christ to them so that they might be brought to Christ. And so I want to encourage you this Christmas to take special note of God's faithfulness and his love in your life and to pour that out into others as well. Invite them to church. Invite them to messy church. Talk to them about why Jesus is so important for you this Christmas. Be willing to share the love of Christ. And remember, God isn't absent in those conversations either. God hasn't forgotten or abandoned us. He has empowered us through his Holy Spirit And he is with us in those conversations. And he is with us as we celebrate and proclaim Jesus this Christmas season. And he is with us, reminding us, showing us, being a seal in us. That we are bound for eternity with him. One of the pastors in the States, Kyle Eidelman. He says this. God is rarely early, but never late. God is rarely early, but never late. Please pray with me. Lord God, as we anticipate 
Christmas this year, as we get all the decorations out, as we start to think about and plan family meals, as we start to do our Christmas shopping or whatever, whatever those family earthly traditions might look like, we just pray that you would help us to remember and to focus it all back on you. We ask that you would help us to proclaim you as the reason that we celebrate Christmas this year. That you would be the one that we proclaim and exalt with our lives. That you would be the one that we would focus on with our children. That you would be the one that we would focus on with our neighbors. That you would be the one that we would focus on because you are why we celebrate Christmas. But we don't just celebrate this baby in a manger. Lord, we celebrate the God of the universe coming down to us. Coming to proclaim to us that, that you're not far off or distant, but that you love us, that you died for us, that you are coming back to take us to be with you forever. Thank you, Lord. Lord, help us to proclaim and to love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.